they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. May God bless our understanding, His holy word. Before I get started, I uh, I did hear many of the men singing out uh, loudly um, that the last hymn, and then I was beginning to rethink uh, the wisdom of my advice. <laughs> so I think what I'll say is, ladies, also sing up because we need your voice. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we have this passage as a picture of humanity, as a mirror. And Lord, it is unsettling. Lord, I ask that as we open this passage of Scripture, that for every look that we take toward this passage, that we would take ten, even a hundred, at our Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to redeem completely a people that are described here in this passage. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. I appreciate that that Mike read that slowly in order that every word could hang in the air for a second for us to fully hear and grasp what this passage is saying about humanity. You know, in the beginning, God created man with unparalleled dignity. He created us just a little lower than the angels in terms of our rank in the universe. In terms of the rank, God, angels, humanity, and then everything else a lot lower. And in many other ways, He made us to be privileged far beyond even the angels. He crowned us according to Psalm chapter 4. He crowned us with glory and honors. Uh, glory and honor as, as creatures created in His image. He placed us on earth to rule as His vice-regents. We were to exercise dominion over all the works of God's hands, over all His creation, whether it be animals or whether it be this earth that He has placed us on. In other words, we were created to be the princes and princesses of the universe underneath God. But as I was speaking to the children as they came forward for the children's sermon, we wanted more. We wanted to sit in the place of God. We wanted to sit right along beside Him rather than underneath in submission to Him. We wanted to rule ourselves rather than be ruled by God. The fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 
was not simply an act of eating a bite of, of fruit. It was rather a challenge to God's supremacy. Amen. Ever since the fall of mankind, the ultimate issue that drives our sins and our rebellion against God is the issue of who will we serve? Will we serve ourselves? Or will we serve God Almighty who is to be praised forever? Romans 1.25 summarizes this issue when it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. Amen. When we... When it says that we worship and serve the the creature, we might ask, well, which creature is this referring to? I know exactly which creature this is referring to in verse 25. It has three names, this creature. Uh, It is called me, myself, and I. We attempt to be our own source of authority because we believe that we know what's best for us. We seek to be our own source of blessing because we believe that we know um, most what we need. We seek to be our own object of worship because we like to be so impressed with ourselves. So we are continually attempting to exchange the one true God for seven billion mini-gods who think that they are entitled to sit alongside Him. Now how is that working out for humanity? For everybody to, to believe that they are their own source of authority, that they are their own uh, God, that they are their own object of worship. The Bible paints us a picture of how this is working out uh, for us in verses 29 through 32. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That is an unsettling picture of humanity. This is the world that we live in. And this is not an exhaustive list. Paul could go on for pages listing uh, the evils that result from our attempts at exchanging the true God for me, myself, and I. Now it may seem that I'm speaking of the world and its evil, that it exists out there, that it excludes Christians from this evil, evil that so permeates the world. And in a sense, I am excluding Christians. And in another sense, I'm not. I'm excluding Christians because we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. We are new creatures in Christ. 
we, instead of hating God's law, we love it. Instead of uh, seeking to only rebel against Him and be ruled by our sin, we want to be ruled by God. We want to obey Him as the, the deepest desires of our hearts. We love God. We want to honor God. We are actively seeking to deny ourselves and take up our cross every day to follow our Lord Jesus. And the reason why we do this, and we do it with delight, is because we know His yoke is easy and the burden of the cross is a joy because we know that it draws us nearer and nearer to our Lord Jesus Christ. If denying yourself is hard, and you're a Christian. If taking up the cross of Jesus is difficult for you, it's because ultimately you don't want Jesus, um, His yoke upon your neck, and you don't want His cross to be your burden. So examine yourself. Is it the joy of your heart to love the Lord Jesus, to follow Him, to say along with Peter, Lord, where you go, I will go. And you may not always go there, just like Peter didn't always go there. But it's the desire, the burning desire of your heart to do so, because you so love Him. Verse 30 describes um, the world here as haters of God. You see that? slanderers, haters of God. This describes who they are at at the, the bottom, at the root of their heart. And so we love God. So in one sense, in a very real sense, Christians are excluded from this list. This picture, they're excluded from this picture of, of fallen humanity here in verses 29 through 32. But in another sense, we're not excluded. This unsettling picture of humanity describes you and me before we bowed our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 3, verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. like the rest of mankind. That's who we were. So in that sense, we are included in all of humanity. And the only reason why we have been taken out of humanity is not because of us. Your salvation, my salvation, did not come about because you finally figured out how to live. 
You didn't come to Jesus Christ because of all the internal goodness in yourself that caused you to change the direction of your life. The only reason your life has been changed, the only reason that you do not find yourself in verses 29 through 32 as the description of your present life is because salvation is the sovereign gift from our Savior. The only part you had to play in your salvation is that you responded to God's grace. God took the initiative. He um, chose you for Himself. And then He drew you to to Himself. You simply responded. And you wouldn't have even responded if God had not given you a will to do so. In other words, none of us can point fingers at the world in prideful self-righteousness. We must never look down our noses at the world and think that we are a better class of people. We are simply trophies of God's grace. We are simply objects of God's free mercy. And so humility must be at the heart of our character and must be the leading edge of our interactions with the world. We come to the world with a a snobbishness, a pride. It's just going to turn them off, and rightly so. When we do our evangelism, or when we live our lives before a watching world, they need to see the humility that comes from being simply recipients of God's grace. And when we consider from where He brought us, verses 29 through 32, absolutely humility. And so in speaking of humility, I want to go one step further. We are not immune as Christians from committing the sins listed in verses 29 through 32. Even though we love God, inexplicably, we do that which we hate. And when we commit um, and, and when we commit them, we are going against our redeemed nature to do so. When we act with malice towards another person, or when we act deceitfully, or when we gossip and slander another person, and when we are disdainful of others, when we boast about ourselves, or even when we are disobedient to our parents, we are acting in a way um, much more in, in a much uglier manner than the world does. Because we know better of course, and I think all people know better because God has written His law on the heart of all mankind, but we have, give, we have been given by God all the resources to obey Him. We've been given a new heart, a transformed heart. We've been given His Word that as we read it and study it, we grow in our faith and our love for the Lord Jesus. And we have been given the Holy Spirit of God. And yet we still find a way 
to commit these sins listed here in this passage. Can you see just how ugly it is when we sin against God? We love God. We have every right, I mean, sorry, every resource from Him to act righteously, but we choose to treat God with contempt when we sin, when we choose our sin instead of living to please Him. Our sins are ugly. And we have no room at all to sneer at the world in pride. This does not mean that because our sins are ugly, that God overlooks the sinfulness of the world. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And ladies, that is an all-inclusive men, men, women. It's inclusive of the children as well. God displays His wrath against the world's sin, against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness. Why does He use these two terms? Ungodliness refers to the sins against God. In other words, they're ungodly. Unrighteousness, I believe, refers to sins against other human beings. In other words, we break the two commandments. We don't love God We don't love our neighbor. And so God says His wrath is revealed against not some ungodliness and some unrighteousness, but all unrighteousness, all ungodliness. Every sin that is ever committed results in God's wrath. And look closely at verse 18. It does not say that His wrath will be revealed at a, pre, at, a, at a future time. In other words, He doesn't reveal His wrath now. He's just waiting for the day of judgment. That's not what this passage says. This passage says that His wrath is being revealed presently. It is being revealed now. Now before looking at how God is revealing His wrath, we should probably pause to understand what God's wrath is. In our day and age, we don't hear a lot about God's wrath. I remember, it would be 27 years ago now, the first time I went to Uganda, and um, one of the American preachers was preaching, and he had a Ugandan uh, translator, and he said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all uh, ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. And the translator stopped translating. And he said, aren't you going to translate? The translator said, no. He said, well, why aren't you going to translate? And the the translator said, God loves everybody. Uh, The Bible doesn't talk about God's wrath. And so uh, I remember, still remember the look on J.D. Williams' uh, face when, he, when, when the, the translator told him he wasn't going to translate. And it just took him back. And then he said to somebody in the front row, You have a Ugandan Bible? Read Romans 1.18. And the point was made. He didn't need a translator because it was in the Bible exactly what he said. And this translator was basically saying, I'm going to ignore that passage. God's love, love, love all the time, time, time. His love swallows His wrath. We don't have to worry about a wrathful God. 
Here it is, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. What is God's wrath? The wrath of God is His eternal detestation of sin. It is a display of His justice and His righteousness. It is His displeasure and indignation against evil. A.W. Pink says, It is the holiness of God stirred into activity. That's the wrath of God. And every sin must stir His wrath into action because God is a just God. For Him to wink at our sins or for Him to avert His gaze and quietly let our our sins slip by unnoticed would be a corruption of His holiness and His justice. For God to allow one sin to simply go by the by would be to call into question God's godness. God cannot be God and allow His wrath to go unmoved by sin. Yes, there will be a future judgment for sin. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But there is a present wrath against sin that our passage focuses upon. And before we um, get to this, um, His wrath being revealed presently, uh, I just want to examine very briefly the root issue of our sins a bit more. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, but now I'm I'm circling back to make sure that we understand the gravity of the situation that the world finds itself in. The root issue in our sin is our attempts to cast off God, cast off His rule, to close our eyes and our ears to His Word and to His rule in our life and replace it with me, myself, and I. So here in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so what we're doing is we're trying to suppress the truth of God. The the, The truth of God talks about God's rule. The truth of God talks about what God... Uh, requires of us. And we don't want it. And so we close our eyes, close our ears, we suppress the truth of God. Keep it away from me, God. And he goes and he describes how we go about doing this. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. What's plain about God? Have you seen God face to face? Well, he describes in verse 20, "...for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse." When you look at the glory of this creation, when you look at yourself in the mirror as a part of God's creation, 
as you see all the order in the creation, when you see everything that needed to take place for humanity to not only exist, but to thrive here in this world, it all clearly attests to God's power in creating the world. It attests to His invisible attributes, His goodness, all the good things that we have in this world, even though we are sinners. He didn't snatch it away from us. He allows us to continue to enjoy life. He sends His rain to fall on the fields of the just and the unjust. What this passage is saying when it says that they are without excuse, it means that the entire world is held accountable to God. Even those poor people off in jungle villages that have never ever heard the gospel, they are accountable to God. All of us, even if we had not heard the gospel, are accountable to God. He is our Creator. We are His creatures. You know, there is no such thing as an atheist or an agnostic. They know that there is a God. In fact, they know who He is, regardless of their protestations that there is no God. And they know the things about His law because He has written the law on every human conscience. The issue is, they know the true God. They do not want Him. They do not want Him to rule over them. Therefore, they suppress the truth. They hold it down. They cover their eyes. They cover their ears. They don't want to hear the truth. Why? Because they do not want to be their own... Or sorry, they want to be their own God. Me, myself, and I. They want to be their own Lord. And so, because mankind works so hard to close his and her eyes against God. God pours out His wrath. But how does He do it? Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Who did the darkening? God. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God, verse 24, gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And this here, in this passage, this is not talking in verse 24. Um, and 25 about homosexuality. Verses 24 and 25 are talking about sexual impurity of any kind. Whether it be sex without outside of marriage, or whether it be viewing pornography, or uh, you can go down the list. Verses 24 and 25, God is saying, He gives people up. 
this is part of His wrath. It goes on and talks about uh, homosexuality in verses 26 and 27. Um, I'm not going to deal with that today. I said that I was going to have two chapters or two sermons per chapter. If I deal with this today, I'd have three or four. So I'm going to come back to it later and try and hold my word to two two chapters. Um, and I'm, so I'm going to skip down to verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God is the one giving them up. And I will say, uh, verses 26 and 27, as it speaks to homosexuality, it's saying that God is the one who gave them up to this. Um, but He is using one example among many. Um, you have this whole list here, beginning with verse 24 all the way through 32. People are saying, I want to be my own God. And they make their life pursuit of pursuing things that they want. Pursuing things as their gods that are not really gods. Because they think that they are truly the um, source of their own authority. And God, in His wrath, gives people up to do what not what ought not be done. People worshiping idols. He would think that God would be so jealous for His glory that He would prevent people from worshiping false gods. But what this passage says is that He gives people up in their wrath. And it's essentially, my paraphrase, okay, you want this so bad, choke on it. And there's many ways in which we see this. We look at our whole political system, we look at our political leaders, and we go, what is going on? Don't we have more sense as a nation? And then we realize that our leaders are just a reflection of us. And we're so frustrated at their selfishness and we ought to learn something about ourselves when we complain about our political leaders. So there's not just a, a, a wrath of God on the day of judgment. He is giving us what we want. And I know I'm going a little over and I'm going to end as quickly as I can, but I do need to say this. If you have things in your life that you are saying, God, I must have this. Or maybe you're not outwardly saying it. Maybe you're not inwardly saying it, but you're pursuing it. And you know it is displeasing to God. God's going to say, okay, here you go. Learn a very hard and painful lesson. We are worshiping creatures. God made us to be worshiping creatures. And the very moment that we turn away from the Lord, we start worshiping ourselves and we start going after things that we think will bring us pleasure, will bring us, will build up our pride, and, and on and on and on. Watch out! I'm warning you. 
God gives us over to our desires when we continually tell Him no. This is an awesome passage. So I want to bring us all face to face with it. But in doing so, I also want to give you some hope. Verses 16 and 17, Paul lays out the theme of the book of Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the, G- to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the gospel he's talking about. Yet the very next words out of his mouth, He's talking about the wrath of God. Here's the good news. And we'll see it later in the book of Romans. God's wrath that is active because He is a righteous and holy God meets His mercy. His wrath and His mercy, they kiss according to I think it's Psalm 85 or there, Psalm 85 or Psalm 86. They kiss. But they kiss in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was the righteous one who never ever sinned from all eternity, was not only sinless, but fully and completely righteous as God Himself because He indeed is God Himself. And He went to the cross where God's wrath was poured out upon Him because He took our sins upon Himself. So God's the full extent of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. And He paid the price completely. And now we get to receive the mercy because of Jesus' sacrifice in our behalf. And so I want to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. I also want to point you forward. Out of, if you are struggling with sin, if you are struggling with besetting sins, where you are worshiping these things and giving yourselves to them, and you feel like you have uh, in this cycle where you can't break out, I want you to look at uh, verse um, 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The way into the sin was trying to knock God off the throne. The way out of the sin is putting God back on the throne of your life. He is the Creator. And so you go to Him. Lord, You are my God. And repent because He's the Lord. Submit to Him because He's the Lord. And worship Him because He's the Lord. One of the ways out of sin is being here in this worship service and worshiping Him and putting Him on the throne of your heart, repenting of your sins. And He, in James chapter 4, says that when you go low in repentance... He will lift you up. So, worship our God who is forever blessed. Amen. Worship our God 
who left heaven and came here and took on human flesh to die for your sins. Worship Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we have this passage in front of us and it is awesome because we see in in this passage ourselves. Lord, we see what what You have brought us from. We see the, the magnitude of Your grace and what You have saved us from. Lord, we see Your faithfulness in keeping us for Yourself. When we see the whole world running away from You, closing their ears, closing their eyes, closing their heart to You, seeking to be their own Master. Lord, and we see instances where we try to do that as well. We repent. We turn to the Lord Jesus. Help us, even as we share this communion meal together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.